Well, hello and God bless you. Welcome to BlendCouragesYou.com, where we are here with the word of the Lord to encourage you to stay on the wall for the Lord. My name is Blend, and I certainly do count it a privilege and an honor to be with you on this, our 16th podcast. Well, today we are starting a brand new study, and it is entitled Speech Therapy. We're going to take a look at some of the things that go on in the heart that can affect our speech. So listen, BCU family, you know what to do. Get your Bibles, get your notebooks, something to write with, a snack, something to drink, and settle in. Blaine Encourages You is coming to you with Speech Therapy. That's what's coming up next. So we're going to dig in. Before we get into the word of God, I just want to set up a visual image in your mind. I'd like you to think about a crowded refrigerator. Yes. So listen, I don't know about you all, but cleaning out the fridge is my least favorite chore. And if you do not stay on top of it, things start to accumulate. Now, there are the big things like the uh, container with leftover ziti or with the half of rotisserie chicken or maybe the package of ground turkey. Those are big up front and very easy to see. Then there are some of the other things like that half a carton of uh, pork fried rice, that bowl of cooked carrots you really did intend to eat, or that carton of flavored creamer that wasn't exactly your favorite. And let's not forget the orange, uh, the dried up potato that rolled in the back, that spilled milk, the mystery packages that have cake from the last church function. Somehow those fell between the second shelf and the uh, vegetable crisper. The soggy veggies in the Ziploc bag, the half sandwich you brought home from work, and the orange juice from last month. On top of that, that's already in the fridge, you've got to go and shop for new groceries. You know, more perishables like more milk, yogurt, produce, eggs, bacon, etc., so on. I mean, it's a really big refrigerator, and you may be able to shuffle some things around, at least for the time being. Then it gets late, you know you need to clean out the refrigerator, but you don't really feel like fooling with it at the moment. On top of that, rather than cook, you might decide to go out to eat. And that's okay, you'll bring home leftovers. The restaurant that you like serves huge portions. And where do they go? Yeah, in the fridge, in the fridge. All right, so maybe the next night you don't feel like a big meal and you decide to have some cereal or a sandwich. And the night after that, you have Bible study, so you pick up a little something on the road. The next thing you know, another month goes by 
And as you walk by the fridge, it has a slight stench. Mm-hmm. Well, someone's going to clean that out, right? Well, yeah, it doesn't smell that bad. Plus, you know, you're working late all this week and you really just don't have the time to devote to cleaning out the refrigerator. Then after that late work week, you really know you need to get in there because the stench is getting worse. And when you open up the fridge, ah, bazinga! (laughs) And since no one else seems to notice the smell or how crowded the fridge is, they're not complaining, not complaining at all, the stench is now to a point where you can no longer ignore it. You know, you try to walk past the fridge and sniff a little. Maybe you don't inhale as deeply. There's something in there that needs to be cleaned out. All right. Now we're to a point where it's got to be taken care of. It can no longer be ignored. So Now that you've determined that you need to clean out the fridge, when you first start, you are hesitant. I mean, that thing smells. And just looking at some of the green and white, quote unquote, fur on some of the items, you know, like the rice or the withered up orange, that cake or that kind of half sandwich that's a little slimy. Oh, and then you've got to clean out that container with the ziti and the cooked carrots and never mind the sour milk and the orange juice containers and the pork fried rice and the withered produce. Ew. Oh, I mean, it's difficult. It takes some time, a lot of scrubbing and rearranging and tossing things. But once you get in and get it done and look at the finished work, you're like, oh, this looks so much better and it feels really good that I got this task completed. So what's the point of my long refrigerator story? At some point, BCU family, in our lives, we have all had a refrigerator that's been neglected to a point where out of necessity, overcrowding or the stench, or maybe a combination, it urged you to tend to it. The first step in speech therapy is evaluating what's in your heart. And we're equating that to the refrigerator because the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's in Matthew chapter 12, 34. So just like there are so many things that lurk in the refrigerator, there are many things that lurk in the heart. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Matthew 15, 18 through 20a says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnessing, 
and blasphemy. These are the things that can defile a man. These passages of scripture are needed reminders that our speech is a reflection of what is going on inside of our hearts. And this is the point of necessity with God's help that we have got to deal with the overcrowding, the hidden things, the covered, the obvious, the stench of a heart that comes out in impatience, hurtful words, slaying someone, even with your words or maybe a look, sexual immorality, maybe taking things from work, for example, blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain. All of these things defile, in other words, spot, stain, or soil, or as one of my nieces says, it wrinkles up our garment. All of us, myself included, need to be spot and wrinkle-free. And since God is gracious enough to give us time to do that, we want to get on this task and stay on it. It's time for us to clean heart. It behooves us to pay close attention to what we feed on and what dwells in our hearts. Of course, BCU family, and I try to make sure I mention it every broadcast, we definitely need the Holy Ghost down on the inside. And that starts with Acts 2.38. We have to start with repentance, baptism, baptism in the name of Jesus, and being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need that as a base in order to start. And then as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we really do start to begin to understand why the Word of God warns us about the accumulations of the heart. So let's look at this a little bit more deeply. Did you know that your heart and mind are linked together? Yes, indeed. The ancient Greeks believed that the heart, the most noticeable internal organ, was the seat of intelligence and memory as well as emotion. And as we think about the anchor scripture, let me give that to you now. It's let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's Psalm 19 and 14. So keeping that anchor scripture in mind, let's look at the latter part of the verse first. The meditation of our hearts. What are you thinking or meditating on in your heart? What's occupying the seat of intelligence in your memory? What do you dwell on day and night? Mm, something to think about. Something to think about. Note that whatever comes out of your mouth is what can defile you, as Jesus mentioned in Matthew. Let's take a look at how 
meditations of the heart can cause trouble. In Genesis, right at the beginning, chapter 6, verse 5. You have to read chapter 6 in its entirety. I'm just going to read verse 5 in your hearing. So this is where God saw the wickedness of man, it says. It was great in the earth in that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil continually. And this is where it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth and grieved him at his heart. So you all know the story. This is where we start to come in, where Noah comes on the scene. And just to give you a quick synopsis, what happened was is that God destroyed everyone on the earth except for eight people, except for eight. Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, along with their wives. And of course, you know, animals were saved as well. But people-wise, out of the entire earth, only eight people saved. Only eight people who didn't have an evil heart continually. That is serious business, family, and certainly not a testimony that we want named among us. All right, in another example, we've got to go to the book of Esther. It is a fascinating and very beautiful story. So when you get a chance, read through it in its entirety. We're going to go to Esther chapter 3, and we're going to focus on someone named Haman. So I'm going to try to give you a synopsis of what happened here. So let's get the base down. So in Esther chapter 3, we have Haman, who got this big promotion. And as a matter of fact, because of his position, all the king's servants at the gate bowed and reverenced Haman at the king's command. All of the servants, except for someone named Mordecai, who happened to be the older cousin of Queen Esther. So in verses 3 and 4 of Esther chapter 3, these servants, these busy folks, on a daily basis kept asking Mordecai, you know, why aren't you bowing? Notice, if you're reading through this, that the word did not mention that Haman even noticed that Mordecai didn't bow until the servants brought it to Haman's attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's stop right here for a little bit of a lesson. First of all, this tells all of us where the thoughts and the hearts of the servants were. If we bow, why doesn't he bow? I'm going to have to bring it to you know his attention that he's not bowing, and then I've got to bring it to somebody else. If we apply this to us, You know, people can sometimes say, you know, if I listen to, you know, this particular type of music and it's not gospel, it doesn't bother me. You know, why can't you listen to it? Things along those lines. Quick story. Um, Years ago, years ago, you know, I was on uh, a job and someone came up to me and told me that, you know, you, you can wear pants here. Now, this is a personal conviction. I'm not here to regulate your wardrobe for me. Pants are not just something that I care to wear. I'm strictly a dress and skirt kind of girl. 
So this particular person, bless their hearts, you know, again, came to me and said, you know, you can wear pants here as if I was, you know, a, a youngster and didn't know any different. So I, you know, thanked the person and said, you know, I knew that or something along those lines and, you know, just went on about my business. This person started to get other people to notice and mention to me in passing that I did not wear pants. Why do you need to get other people involved? Why is it that we have to make a huge deal out of it? It's just something that I don't care to do. What did my attire really have to do with anything? I mean, would wearing slacks help me to answer the phones better? Because that's what I was doing. (laughs) Why try to slack shame me? (laughs) So, you know, the fact was with God's grace that I wasn't bowing with his grace, I wasn't going to bow to that pressure to be like the crowd, and the crowd didn't like that. On the same wise, Mordecai did not give in to the pressure to bow to this mere mortal. He knew who his God was, and he wasn't going to bow to anyone but the one true God. All right, family. So listen, we've got to circle back to these busybodies because they started trouble. They started trouble. So the busybody servants went to tattle on Mordecai to see if his behavior would stand. All right. And on top of that, they got to telling Haman about Mordecai being a Jew. If we go to the fifth verse in Esther chapter three, Haman now starts paying attention as he goes through the gate, noticing that Mordecai was not bowing or reverencing him. And the word says, Haman was full of wrath. Mm. So let's stop right here. Let's pause. See how the thought was planted in the mind of Haman by the busybodies? Haman should have certainly rejected that thought, and he certainly could have. But what he did instead was to entertain or to meditate. Remember, we're talking about meditations of the heart right now. He meditated on this thought until he was full of wrath. As if that wasn't bad enough, the meditation of his heart continues This bad meditation, because in verse six, it says, and he thought, Haman thought, scorn, just to lay hands on Mordecai. So he was just going to go after Mordecai. No, 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 that wasn't good enough. Since the busybodies had told about Mordecai's nationality, what Haman figured was, is that, you know, if Mordecai doesn't bow, that means that none of the Jewish people would bow and that they needed now to be destroyed. My goodness, my goodness. And it gets worse. It gets worse. The meditation goes on now, you all, because verse seven lets us to know that Haman went so far as to cast pure, P-U-R, or cast lots to carry out his plot. He did this daily and monthly. So every day and every month for 12 entire months just to find a good day to carry out his wicked plot to destroy the Jews. 
Now, just as a little side note here, uh, historically, in all likelihood, uh, casting lots, Haman doing that, what he would do was, you know, cast some pebbles or something on the ground and, you know, one would be drawn at random, something along those lines, just to figure out, you know, what day would be best to do something. It was a common practice in that time. And Haman took, again, an entire year to figure out the day to get this done. If someone has to go through all of that trouble, this really does mean that um, <laughs> they are not in their right mind. They're not in their right mind. So this particular matter of carrying out the plot to destroy the Jews, he was leaving this up to forces that were beyond his control and comprehension. Meditations of the heart. When they're not good, it can devise all types of evil imaginations. Haman's meditations really went into escalation mode when he went on to involve and deceive the king, Astereras, by telling him about all of these people, the Jewish people whose laws were different, he mentioned that they weren't keeping the king's laws and it wouldn't profit the king and they needed to be destroyed. Haman even offered to pay to get it done. The next thing you know, you know, the king agrees. He trusted Haman. You know, he was one of his right-hand men. So, you know, letters are sent and the day is set for the people to be destroyed. And all of this because two busybodies planted a seed of contention in a heart with pride for soil, Haman thought of himself more highly than he ought to have, Romans chapter 12 and 3, and in that soil, with that seed, what sprung up was deceit and murder. Meditations of the heart. All right, BCU family, so that's going to bring to a close part one of our series, Speech Therapy, Meditations of the Heart. I do pray that this word blessed, encouraged, and challenges you continually as it's doing for me. Join us next time where we continue to look at what's going on in our hearts. I want to take a few moments to thank you so much for tuning in. May God bless you and make his face to shine upon you. And until we're together again, stay on the wall.